Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome into the Wednesday, April the 24th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we are one day out from the 2019 NFL Draft, and we are looking at sleepers. We've talked plenty about potential day one and day two draft picks, but what about the guys on day three? We'll look at one per position. Plus, Jason Harina, our staff editor at LockedOnDolphins.com, returns to give us his five best draft picks to get the mood a little bit lighter in here. And we'll wrap it up with the final word on the draft with each of the defensive positions All of that and a whole lot more. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on the new Himalaya podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Tuned In, Google Play, the Spotify app, wherever you get your podcast from, go ahead, subscribe, leave us a rating, leave us a review, and give me a follow on Twitter at WingfulNFL. Follow the show at LockedOnFins and check out LockedOnDolphins.com, guys. We are pumping out content all week for you guys. Check it out, as well as the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the mega Locked On NFL Mock Draft with Matt Williamson of the Locked On NFL Podcast. we got a busy show. Let's go ahead and get right into it. That's another Miami Dolphins Before we get started on the sleepers list, a couple of notes to cover up here on the NFL. Frank Clark of the Seattle Seahawks gets traded to the Kansas City Chiefs. They give up their first round pick number 29, a second round draft pick next year, and they swap third round picks this year. And Frank Clark gets a $100 million deal. He was a guy that I talked about the Dolphins maybe making a trade back and then using that first round pick and recouping a second round pick to go out and get a gifted, talented top-level pass rusher in Frank Clark. Obviously, the money was going to be an issue there. That didn't happen. I never thought it would happen. I just thought it was an option. But now, he goes to Kansas City, and the Seahawks have two late first-round draft picks. And they're a team that likes to trade out. So that could be an option if the Dolphins want to move back up into the first round if they are so inclined come Thursday night. A couple other notes. Cliff Kingsbury on Kyler Murray said this today, quote, he's a great football player. He's going to play well wherever he goes. And the hay is not in the barn on our draft pick. They can sell this bill of goods all they want. I'm still not buying it. I still contend the entire reason they hired Cliff Kingsbury was to draft Kyler Murray and get this thing going. But the interesting part of that is that maybe Cliff Kingsbury is big on Kyler Murray. He probably is. But the rest of the organization maybe is still in on Josh Rosen. So we don't know what's going to happen there. It should be very exciting. I think it's Antonio Bryant. It's at AB84 on Twitter. Said that he is certain the Cardinals are taking Nick Bosa. But I think that tweet has since been removed. I don't know. This is all crazy. It's all madness. It's going to be a wild ride on Thursday night. And the last note before we get to our sleepers here comes from Robert Henson on Twitter. He is at Mr. Underscore Henson 51. And he has a quote here from Todd McShay who says, quote, the Washington football team are out on Josh Rosen and all in on Dwayne Haskins. So some trade activity could be coming on Thursday night for Dwayne Haskins. I projected the Cincinnati Bengals to do it. I don't know who it's going to be, but someone's going to trade up for Dwayne Haskins. I can't wait to see who it is. As far as the Kyler Murray train, if he does sneak past that first pick, 
he could be a legitimate option there for the Dolphins to come up at the second pick, or if he falls beyond that, wherever it is, someone's going to come up for Kyler Murray if he doesn't go first overall. And if that happens, chaos and so much fun and Twitter all going to be a buzz. I cannot wait to see what happens. And that's the first night of the draft. Then we have day two, and then we've got day three where we really haven't covered a whole lot on this podcast. I've mentioned some guys here and there, but I went through the Dolphins list of visits, and if you haven't checked out the piece on LockedOnDolphins.com, looking at the Dolphins' recent draft history or pre-draft visit list, it can kind of give you an idea into what they do and where their team needs lie and how they approach those team needs in the draft. And I talked in this article today titled Draft Day Sleepers on Chris Greer and Miami Dolphins Radar, talking about Chris Greer's success even back when he was the director of college scouting with his late round draft picks, whether it was that fifth round fifth round back in 2015 when they got J.H.I., Tony Lippett, and Bobby McCain, or Devon Godshaw in the fifth round three years after that, and then Vincent Taylor in the sixth round there. They haven't had the best success on guys like Charles Harris, Mike Gesicki, Leonte Carew, Cordrea Tankersley. And while they've gotten better lately, the whole point is that this Dolphins team typically does better later on in the draft class. And it goes back to another great note I heard from the Move the Sticks podcast in Daniel Jeremiah. I forget who the scout was they were referring to, but he said, look, it doesn't matter if you get your picks right on the fifth, sixth, and seventh round. Where you get them right doesn't matter. You just got to get three or four of them right. So that's the thinking here with Chris Greer and the Miami Dolphins. And we go to my sleeper list up on LockedOnDolphins.com here part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, and it starts with the quarterback, Brett Rippon, who I think is probably in that round four to five range, and I talked about it on my radio appearance on WQAM Radio with Zach Duarte and Rashad Butler with those fellows up on 560. I talked about Brett Rippon and his processing speed and how sharp he was, and Rashad on the radio show made a good point about how sharp he was down at the East-West Shrine game and kind of had that galvanizing feature. I think he's a quarterback the Dolphins would look for on day three. At running back, I talked about him all the time. I won't do it here for you guys. James Williams out of Washington State, a fantastic glove-like fit in this offense in the four to five round range. I put a fullback in there. When have I ever talked about fullbacks on the podcast? The Dolphins have hosted Alex Ingold, the Wisconsin product. He could be a late day three pick and get the Dolphins starting fullback job right away. That's a position that last year in New England, James Devlin played 36% of their snaps. So it's a pretty hefty chunk of the offensive snaps at wide receiver Keelan Doss out of UC Davis. He could go later than maybe even the draft, undrafted free agent, but he has the mental makeup and the size to play that X position that Miami might want to put in competition with Devontae Parker and Bryce Butler. The tight end, Ravian Pierce out of Syracuse. He's a Fort Lauderdale native, but he has the combination to play both Y and F tight end, flex out Y, but also function inside as the inline blocker. At offensive tackle, I put Coda Martin, also from Syracuse, projected rounds five through seven there, maybe even a UDFA but he transferred from Texas A&M and comes over to Syracuse and he was the Syracuse offense's blindside protector in that up-tempo heavy passing attack to protect Eric Dungy the quarterback he's impressive athletically has the initial kick slide to get into his pass set and he can win from there with a heavy-handed punch on the inside another Miami guy the Dolphins have done their due diligence on their own backyard which it is about time they did that 
and he is a guy I like. Venzel Bulware projected for or projected sixth round through UDFA. He was a grad transfer that wound up at the U. He's talked a lot about his maturity and his intelligence and preparation and work habits as the strongest aspects of his game. And when I come back on the other side of the podcast here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, I'm going to tell you about the defensive sleepers and we're going to get Jason Harina back on to talk about the best draft picks this century for the Miami Dolphins. All that next Lockdown Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Lockdown Fins. Depending on when you listen to this podcast, you could be about 24 hours outside of the beginning of the 2019 NFL Draft, the moment we all wait for. And I think this year holds a little bit extra intrigue because, frankly, game days this year, probably not going to be a lot of fun. But this is our ultimate game day of the offseason and basically up until the 2020 season, our best chance at a real-life game day. Something to get excited about as Dolphins fans. But nonetheless, we'll have you guys covered every single day throughout the course of the rest of the year on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Let's jump back into the defensive prospects on my sleepers list. We talked about some offensive linemen out of the University of Miami and Syracuse as well. Some local natives. This guy went to Eastern Michigan, Max Crosby, a defensive edge or defensive end, whatever we're calling him these days. He's a projected fifth to sixth rounder. He's not the most athletically gifted guy, but every time you watch an Eastern Michigan game, and I know you guys are huge on the Eastern Michigan football program, he shows a high motor, that heavy-handed base five technique that Chris Greer has talked about along with Marion Hobby and what they want up front on that defense. I think he matches the classroom presence and the on-field presence they want on this football team. Going inside on the interior offensive line, Fred Jones out of Florida State. I looked up his draft projections. Many folks don't think he'll get drafted, but I think that you have an option here when it comes to these late round guys. Two options, rather. One, you find a physically limited player with excellent technique and just accept his shortcomings and accept what he is. Or two, you uncover an impressive ball of clay who needs technical refinement, and that's who Fred Jones is. The Dolphins could like him as a project going forward. At linebacker out of Idaho, about eight miles east of the WSU campus out in Pullman, Washington, Caden Ellis. His testing metrics were through the roof, was one of the Dolphins' 30 draft visits this offseason, ran a 4.65 40-yard dash and jumped 35 inches vertically, has been described as off the charts as a lateral mover. At cornerback, another Dolphins visit out of Toledo, Kadar Holloman. He is a guy that can track the football, he can run really well, and he can jump. All three of those traits the Dolphins are going to want and traits that Holloman possesses in spades. And at safety, Corian Ballard out of Utah, a potential sixth round, seventh round, maybe a UDFA. He's six foot three, 205 pounds at safety with a 123 inch broad jump and a 6.38 three cone. The athletic traits the Dolphins love at those positions. So all these guys could be in play late in the draft, maybe as UDFAs. Dolphins are going to be very, very busy in the UDFA portion post-draft on Saturday evening, Saturday night, and into Sunday, of course. And as always, we'll have you covered on all that stuff on LockedOnDolphins.com, as well as the Locked On Dolphins podcast. And speaking of LockedOnDolphins.com, we are joined again back-to-back days by the staff editor up on LockedOnDolphins.com. You can find him on Twitter, at Miami D-Punks. He is Jason Harina. Jason, what's happening, man? Hey, nothing much, dude. Pretty honored to be uh, following your interview with uh, Zach on 560 WQAM. So pretty cool, dude. 
yeah, we had a good time on that interview. If you guys haven't checked that out, I believe Zach has a link to it on his Twitter page. I think he is at 790Zach. I'm not 100% sure on that, but I'll get you clarity on that later on in the day or up on Twitter. But we're having Jason come back on because yesterday we went a little bit too long on the top five worst draft picks of the century. And Jason, we bummed some folks out who said that that podcast was too depressing. So let's go ahead and pump the fans back up and talk about the top five draft picks from this century for the Miami Dolphins. Who comes in at number five? Well, I mean, I don't know if we're really going to make fans that much happier uh, (laughs) with the top five list. Uh, I mean, you're going to come to realize with most of these selections, uh, whether they're debatable, um, whether they're, you know, none of them are really perfect in that regard. Uh, it was really difficult, more difficult in that sense, to come up with the top five than the bottom five. Uh, really, no Hall of Famers, very few elite talents, um, a few great players scattered in. Um, one of them is a mediocre compiler, um, as I want to describe them in a sense. So uh, it's... Uh, it's an interesting list. Who was it, uh, Kiko Alonso? With, <laughs> I had to throw it in there. Uh, and Byron Maxwell, you got both of them together. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, no. so with uh, with that, um, not Kiko, not Byron, um, but the other piece of the puzzle they got coming in at number five, uh, fifth best draft pick of the 21st century, uh, Laramie Tunzel. Uh, this is probably more for uh, the PR quote-unquote nightmare that they had to deal with. Um, Laramie Tunsil was the obvious number one choice in that draft, uh, dependent on your need, um, on what the team wanted. He was kind of the consensus number one prospect that year. And, um, really Miami didn't have to do much scouting or digging to, to get Laramie Tunsil right. It was really, uh, as we all know, that draft day, uh, gas mask bombing that really did it. And really, um, was the best thing to happen to Miami, probably in one of these drafts this century. Um, yeah, and the thing is, is the Dolphins really, they didn't have him on the visits list. And if you guys go back to my visit list up on LockedOnDolphins.com, you can see they don't always meet with these prospects because a lot of times they don't think they're going to be there. Like this year, for instance, Quinn and Williams, they did meet with him, but he's not going to be there when Miami picks. So what's the point? That was the case with Laramie Tunzel. But even then, it was a no-brainer. Snatch him off the board. Jason, give me your number four top draft pick of this century for the Dolphins. Number four is that compiler that I was mentioning before. Um, Vernon Carey, offensive tackle. Yes. Uh, most of us even forget that he was even on the team. Uh, you rarely heard his name. And for an offensive lineman, that's a good thing. Um, Vernon Carey was he, he was active for 121 games. He started 108 of them. Uh, he really did nothing wrong in his career, but he did nothing great either. And really, that selection as number four overall kind of speaks to the entire draft as a whole where he didn't even make a Pro Bowl in his entire career, and here we have our fourth best draft pick in the 21st century. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and get to number three then, because I want to hear some better news. Well, number three is probably the most interesting debate I had with myself, and so this came... Actually, so I'll say this. I initially went into it thinking that Jarvis Landry was going to be on my top five list. Uh, I love his passion. Maybe it's personal bias in that regard. So I really want to dig into this because the fans absolutely love Chris Chambers, the best receiver probably of this century. So digging into it, they're a lot closer uh, than a lot of people think. And I have listed out a few stats and a few other um, facts listed out on the article that was published earlier um, yesterday on LockdownDolphins.com. And all those, there's, the numbers are really similar, uh, but really it's his longevity, two and a half more years uh, than Landry, much better ball handler. Uh, Landry in less time, less games, had much more fumbles. Uh, really not that good for a possession receiver. So Chris Chambers, um, 
really should have been uh, really the most obvious choice on this list in a sense. Everyone absolutely loves Chris Chambers, but it came in a lot closer than I thought. Um, and check it out. It's really, they're a lot similar than most people think. And he had a really good, strong start to his career, but then things kind of went south for a few years after he took that shot in the Denver game on Sunday night. I'll never forget it. Paul McGuire and Joe Theismann are talking about him, and I think it was Theismann said, Chris Chambers has no idea where he is right now, and that was before the big hits were kind of outlawed from the NFL. So a different time, he did bounce back with that Pro Bowl year in 05. He was one of my favorite Dolphins of all time, so I'm glad he's on the list. But I have to imagine 2-1 and one get a little bit better than Chris Chambers, right? Yeah, they get a lot better, and uh, they bring a lot more pizzazz to the team in that sense. So uh, number two, um, really number two is the one that does it, and that is Rashad Jones. And... Uh, some people, or a lot of people, I feel like, would expect him to be number one. Uh, you look at his statistics, you look at his production, you look at all of the exciting plays, all the highlight reel plays that he brings, um, all the defensive touchdowns he's had. Um, he's an absolute force at safety and uh, really a fan favorite up until last season when um, he quit on the team mid-game, uh, which none of us really expected. Most of us defended him when it happened, thinking yeah. that had to be something that uh, Matt Burke did, something that Adam Gaze did. Um, but Rashad Jones, uh, other than that aspect, um, comes in at number two, mainly because of his contract. Very expensive. One year, uh, 2019, his uh, salary cap hit is two and a half million less than what our number one player made in his entire career to Dolphins throughout his tenure. Um, so a lot of people coming into this, you would have to think Rashad Jones, he's such a playmaker. But you take into account value, you take into account contract, you take into account every single aspect that they bring to the Dolphins, and number one is going to surprise you a bit more than some people think. And with the number one pick, a fellow safety, also a force in the backfield, someone who was always around the ball, someone who was always a sure tackler, someone who opposing offenses had to fear on every play, whether they realized it or not, number one best draft pick of the 21st century for the Miami Dolphins, Jeremiah Bell. Probably one of the most underrated players on this team this century. Uh, one of the most underrated defenders. You have Rashad Jones, um, underrated for his own right. Uh, didn't make as many Pro Bowls as he should have, similar to Zach Thomas in that sense, which is completely other debate. Uh, but Jeremiah Bell, drafted in the sixth round, uh, like I was mentioning before, for his entire eight-year career, cost only $19.7 million to what the Dolphins have to spend. So when you take into account uh, leader in the backfield, Fairly durable and extremely reliable. Uh, Jeremiah Bell, all things considered, uh, definitely a much more valuable pick. Uh, Travis, I know you're a huge fan of Jeremiah Bell, as am I. That's one of the first things we talked about when we were down in Miami. Uh, when we learned, it's like, oh, man, I absolutely love this dude. It's like, what? No way. Jeremiah Bell, he's the man. Yeah. Um, but coming in number one overall, 21st century over Rashad Jones, all things considered, Jeremiah Bell. See, I don't think you're going to get maybe any agreements on that. And that's why I love having you write for the website, Jason, among many other things, coming on the podcast, because you tend to give a different perspective. And Jeremiah Bell, to me, signifies that entire 2008 team outside of the Wildcat, which is obviously the headline grabber. But I referenced it to you, I think, on the, the tweet you mentioned on Tuesday that Jeremiah Bell in that Chargers game when the Dolphins were back, baby, they got the announcer to say the Dolphins are back after a 2-2 two and two start, which is just hilarious. But Jeremiah Bell was on Antonio Gates, and this is prime Antonio Gates, all game long, he had four targets, one catch, and 12 yards, and he had the pass breakup on the fourth down that clinched the game. So, Jeremiah Bell, to me, basically 
basically signifies or personifies that entire era of Dolphins football, which still is mediocre. But as 30, you know, 25, 26, 30 year old people that you and I are, Jason, that's basically what we have as Dolphins fans is that mediocre era and the few bright spots we have to look forward to. So again, check out this article up on LockdownDolphins.com. Jason Harina's top five and bottom five draft picks of this century for the Miami Dolphins. You can find him on Twitter at Miami D Punks. Jason, thanks again for doing it. But before I let you go, I got to know very quickly, who do you want in the first round? Are they staying put? Are they trading back? And give me a name in the first round. All things considered, in a perfect world, I would love for them to trade back. They're obviously going for something in 2020. And you might as well utilize 2019 to build the trenches around your eventual franchise quarterback. So in a perfect world, they trade back. They get as much as they can. Um, But if they're staying put at number 13, who do I want? I want Ed Oliver. Do I think it's going to happen? No. And I will be perfectly fine settling for someone like Juwan Taylor. They really need someone in those trenches. If you can give me someone that's going to sit opposite Laramie Tunsil for a while, I'm perfectly fine with that. And the best part of having an offensive lineman is he's going to play 1,000 snaps if he's healthy, and there aren't many positions in the NFL that can say that. Once again, Jason Harina, staff editor, LockedOnDolphins.com. Jason, thanks for joining us two days in a row, man. And off he goes, and we are going to come back on the other side here of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and recap the entire defensive side of the football. Who do I like? What do I think the Dolphins are going to do? Defensive draft preview coming up next. We got the entire draft preview episode coming out tomorrow where I'm going to look at Dolphins' preferred options at each round with five players per round for you guys. But we got to finish up this podcast and talk about the rest of the defense. We got kind of off track with Sunday's show, not talking about the positions in order on that draft. So we had to go ahead and cram the defense in here. And without any further ado, let's go ahead and do that. At the edge position, look, I think the Dolphins are going to have options right here basically throughout the first two days of the draft. And then day three is anybody's guess. So we'll kind of focus on the first two days. But at the edge position, you have a multitude of options, whether it is like a Brian Burns and a Montez Sweat or an Ed Oliver at the top of the first round or a trade back for a Chase Winovich, a Cleland Furl, whatever it might be, options are aplenty. In the second round, LJ Collier, Charles Amenahu, and beyond that, a guy like Zach Allen. I think Miami are going to come out of this draft after the first two days with one player at the edge position on this defense going inside to defensive tackle. Christian Wilkins makes a lot of sense for what the Dolphins want to do. I just don't think it's a great idea at pick 13 because I think there are better positions you can utilize than Christian Wilkins, who right now at this point is only really a pass rusher. I think he could become a better run defender, but at age 23 and kind of where he is in his life, maybe he's already fully developed. But as far as the interior goes, plenty of players here as well that would fit this need for the Dolphins. You can go with Tristan Hill out of UCF, the big beefy defensive tackle from UCF. You obviously have Dexter Lawrence also from Clemson in that position group. I think the Dolphins might kind of balk at this position until later on day two, maybe day three, and come back at it then. At linebacker, 
the needs here are specific and they're tough to, to really describe because some of these linebackers are going to play edge positions as well, much like Dante Hightower playing inside, outside. We know Rayquan McMillan could be kind of fit for that role on the inside portion. We know Jerome Baker can sprint his ass to the edges and make plays on the edge. They are going to be after a linebacker that can do some of the Kyle Van Noy things. That's why I think Justin Holland out of Oregon makes a lot of sense there. I don't think they're going to get a crack at Devin Bush and Devin White and the drop off from those guys to the next linebacker is massive at off-ball linebacker. At cornerback, first round is still a possibility. I think only in a trade down, whether that's Greedy Williams or DeAndre Baker, or maybe Byron Murphy, who I don't think is a scheme fit, so I'd pass on him. In the second round, I think Rocky Sin makes a ton of sense. I think David Long out of Michigan makes a lot of sense. And you go further beyond that, Isaiah Oliver, Chris Boyd, there are plenty of options throughout this class at cornerback, but again, it comes back to the idea that the Dolphins might kind of go more towards their youngsters they already have on the roster, the four guys you heard me talk about all along. They are still here and at safety again. Same thing as the defensive back positions in this draft. I think the glut, the the prime position to get a defensive back is in that 20 to 50 range that Jason talked about where the offensive line is strong and frankly, where the defensive edge position is wrong. And whether we're talking about Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, Juan Thornhill, Jonathan Abram, Darnell Savage, Amani Hooker, there are so many players the Dolphins can target at that position. I would be floored. I would be absolutely surprised. I'm going to go as far as to guarantee the Dolphins will find a safety within the first, let's call it four rounds of this draft guaranteed here on LockedOnDolphins.com. And with that, let's go ahead and pass the buck to tomorrow's show where I'm going to talk about the top storylines in this draft, go over each of Miami's top five options in every single round, discuss the pros and cons of a trade down, and we're going to get one last draft mailbag. So submit your questions on that thread on Twitter for the final draft mailbag. It's almost here, guys. But as for today, that's going to be my time on the podcast. If you have a smart speaker, you can pull up the podcast right away. Just say play Locked On Dolphins podcast for your daily dose. Also, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast or the new Himalaya podcast app, wherever you get your podcast from. Go ahead, leave us a rating, leave us a review, and check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. Let Jason know what you thought of his top five draft picks of the century. You guys have a great rest of your draft eve. We'll talk to you tomorrow on draft day for a Thursday draft edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.